Within months of the emergence of the coronavirus in late 2019, drug companies around the world were racing for a vaccine. And within a year, shots were being delivered into people's arms. The speed at which the world has developed not one but several different COVID-19 vaccines in a seemingly record time has thrown into sharp relief the other vaccination programs that have been toiling for years with no final breakthrough. HIV, the virus that causes AIDS, kills nearly 700,000 people every year. But it has outwitted vaccine developers for more than three decades. Even regular influencers can be deadly, and our tools to stop them are very limited. But now there is a renewed hope that this could all change. And that may be thanks to the work that's gone into the COVID-19 vaccines. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm James Haynes-Young. And this week, we're delving into how COVID-19 vaccines have already shaken up the drug industry. And how what we're learning today could very well lead to tailor-made treatments for thousands of different ailments. But first... If you want all the latest episodes direct to your phone, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. Here's back to the show. Even though you've likely heard it a lot over the last year, let's recap what a vaccine is and how it works. Vaccines expose the body to a pathogen, which might be viruses or bacteria, in a harmless form, such as after it has been chemically inactivated or has had genetic changes made to it so that it cannot cause disease. Other types of vaccine involve just chemical components of the viruses or bacteria. In each case, the vaccine or the antigen stimulates an immune response that offers protection in the event of an infection. They vary in how well this antigen is presented to human cells and in the response they stimulate, so their effectiveness varies. That's Daniel Bardsley, a science reporter for The National. So that's how things are usually done. Now, though, there's a new way of making a vaccine. It's technology that has existed on the fringes of the pharmaceutical world for years, but has never been proven to work effectively. That's an mRNA vaccine. They are based on what is called messenger RNA. So, mRNA for short. Two of the earliest approved and most effective vaccines against the coronavirus are these new kinds of vaccines. Those are the ones produced by Pfizer-BioNTech and Moderna. But what does mRNA mean? And what is an RNA? mRNA, or messenger RNA to use its full name, is a type of genetic material that consists of a set of instructions for cells to make proteins. When the genes of humans or any other organism are being expressed, they're first copied into a strand of mRNA through a process called transcription. In a second process, known as translation, structures within the cell read the genetic code of the mRNA and use this to create a particular protein. So as well as the drugs for COVID-19, this same mRNA platform is now being readied to combat HIV and influenza, as well as a host of other things. Where a traditional vaccine may be using inactivated virus cells or components of a pathogen that sparks the body's immune response. An mRNA vaccine is almost stitches of genetic code that effectively teaches your body how to produce the proteins from the pathogen to protect your body from infection. But the most exciting aspect of this 
isn't in essence what the vaccine does when it's in your body. Like traditional vaccines, it also teaches your body how to fight the virus. But what is exciting is what goes into getting the drugs into the needles and into your arm. Usually, vaccine development can take years before they even start clinical trials to prove that it's safe and effective. And at any stage, this can fall apart. Eskild Pedersen is the adjunct professor of infectious diseases at the University of Aarhus in Denmark. He's also the chairperson of Emerging Infections Task Force for the European Society of Clinical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases. He tells us more about mRNA vaccines. Well, it's a, it's a new technology and uh, field studies and uh, the post-vaccination studies this uh, data we have, for instance, from uh, from Israel, show that these vaccines are highly effective uh, and have a few serious side effects. You uh, inject a little bit of uh, mRNA, and that is taken up by your own cells, and then it's your own cells that is making the uh, foreign protein for the COVID vaccines. It's a spike protein. And that um, means that uh, it's, it's a very efficient way of inducing immunity, both antibodies and especially cellular immunity. I think there's been a lot of focus on inducing, uh, neutralizing antibodies. So what else do mRNA vaccines have going for them? Well, a new mRNA vaccine could be generated in as little as six weeks. And they're easier to manufacture on scale than some other vaccines that require you to grow bacteria or viral particles. And the yields on this can fluctuate massively. They have a number of attributes which make them very attractive for future use. Uh, they are very safe, as is obviously the case now following the rollout across the world. And they're also very easy to quality control. So the quality control is often an aspect of virus of vaccine production, which is which is difficult. You imagine tanks of tens of thousands of litres of material being grown and concentrated and so on. It's a long process, but the RNA vaccines essentially are chemical vaccines. And so the quality control aspects are much, much easier to control, much easier to make sure that you have a routine product at the end. That was Ian Jones, Professor of Virology at the University of Reading in the UK. Right now, Moderna, the US pharmaceutical company, has more than two dozen mRNA vaccines in development. Around half of these are already in clinical trials. HIV, influenza and the Zika virus, among other pathogens, are all being targeted. The company is also looking at therapeutic vaccines against cancer. Likewise, the German-based BioNTech has mRNA cancer therapeutics in clinical trials along with vaccines against tuberculosis, HIV, and an influenza vaccine developed with Pfizer. Dr Andrew Friedman is an infectious disease expert at the Cardiff University in the UK. He specialises in HIV. He explains why a vaccine for HIV matters, even if drugs can effectively manage the symptoms of HIV-AIDS. It's, it's not a curable disease. It's a, it's a lifelong disease. There have been about two patients that have been cured of HIV, but those have been through a, 
through bone marrow transplants that they've needed because they've developed uh, hematological cancers. But for everyone else, once they catch the infection, it's a lifelong disease. I don't think we ever expected it would prove so elusive uh, to, to develop a working vaccine. But undoubtedly, one of the, the major problems is the, uh, the extent to which HIV mutates. And there are lots and lots of different strains, even within, within one infected individual, there are lots of different uh, viral species present. Uh, and that's probably one of the major problems. And within uh, a group of species, within one individual, some of those viral variants would be able to evade an immune response. Uh, and that's probably the, the major difficulty. Uh, the other thing is that most of the antibodies that are produced in response to HIV infection, when someone catches it, uh, most of those are not actually neutralizing antibodies. They won't uh, block infection. Decades of science has got us to the point where COVID-19 vaccines are being produced in a matter of months, not years. But so too can that research help us in other areas. Technology just gets better and better, and there's no way we could have uh, had such quick COVID vaccines available, say, 10 years ago. Typically, a vaccine will take or used to take up to sort of 10 years to develop, that wouldn't be at all uncommon then to get to all its preclinical and animal studies and clinical trials. So uh, the speed has been absolutely amazing. Uh, and hopefully, yes, that, that, that can then be carried forward uh, for developing vaccines against other infections. But Dr. Friedman tells us about the challenges of an HIV vaccine and what an mRNA technology might mean. But he also tells us why it's not as simple as saying everything can now be fixed. It's a fairly novel platform method, really, of, of, develop, of developing vaccines. And uh, uh, in fact, the, the COVID vaccines that we have, uh, the mRNA ones, are the first ones that have actually been uh, approved and shown to work and, and safe in humans. So it's yet another way of, uh, of delivering a vaccine. Uh, but that in itself is not sufficient. It's really what, what you put in or what the makeup of an mRNA vaccine would be uh, as, as to how effective that might be in, uh, in combating HIV in, in, as an effective vaccine. So, it, 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 I mean, it, it may help, but I think it's, it's really very, uh, very premature to say that, that this is going to be the answer. I think time will tell. I mean, it's been extremely impressive, as we've already said, over 30 years of, of research to try and develop a, a, an HIV vaccine. But we've got quite a number of working vaccines against COVID in the space of a year. So that's fantastic. It's not just the actual uh, development of the vaccine, but the trialing of it and bringing it to uh, to the point where they can be approved and used has been amazing. Uh, and I'm not sure we're necessarily going to see a, a huge acceleration in terms of HIV. There are a, a couple of trials going on, not actually in, in humans, not actually using the uh, mRNA uh, platform, but using the adenoviral vector platform, which obviously has been used for COVID as well. So both the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine and the uh, Janssen vaccine uh, for COVID using those same platforms. In fact, the vaccines on trial at the moment are using that same Janssen adenoviral vector platform yeah, to deliver HIV vaccines. We need to wait to see whether those are going to work, but 
certainly people are now looking at uh, developing mRNA vaccines. Uh, and there has been there have been studies within macaques of, of mRNA HIV vaccines, which look reasonably promising, but there's a long way to go, I think, before we have effective vaccines that can be used in humans. This could truly herald an exciting time for medicine, in which all manner of otherwise untreatable or hard or expensive to treat diseases and viruses are halted in their tracks. Obviously, different infections uh, have different uh, tells. Dengue infection is extremely common uh, amongst uh, almost all developing countries. For most people, it's a relatively mild infection that they recover from, uh, but there are some severe cases and there's a significant mortality uh, uh, attached to those. So yes, a a preventative vaccine uh, would, would be very beneficial. For that, we've obviously got other more severe viral hemorrhagic fevers like Ebola and Lassa fever. We already have some Ebola vaccines, uh, one of them using an adenoviral uh, vector platform. But yes, there there are quite a number of uh, severe viral infections for which we don't yet have effective vaccines. Professor Pedersen tells us how these mRNA vaccines could be applied to something like dengue fever. Coming back to COVID with the new variants, uh, there are thoughts about combining different pieces of RNA so you cover not only the first COVID, uh, but also cover some of the new variants. So you get a more, what shall I say, broad, potent vaccine. Um, But whether you can mix uh, different antigens, I mean, one of the things that you could try it on was uh, uh, dengue fever. Uh, Dengue fever, there's a vaccine, uh, uh, but... um, it has certain problems and there's four different serotypes of dengue. And if you could include uh, stable antigens, uh, RNA coding for stable antigens for all four dengue virus types, then it would be quite obvious to um, to, uh, to to try that because there's a huge uh, need for vaccines against the dengue virus. What I would predict is within the next five years, we will see several attempts to develop new vaccines based on this technology because it's, it, uh, it makes a very efficient immune response against the virus. But Dr. Friedman and Professor Pettersen say it's not a silver bullet. mRNA vaccines, they say, do not solve the issue of virus variability. mRNA vaccines against HIV could be a step forward but they say it's premature to call them the answer. But it's not all about mRNA vaccines. There have also been other strides in our vaccine development technology that could help end HIV. The Jenner Institute at the University of Oxford, which developed the Oxford AstraZeneca COVID-19 shot, is beginning trials of an HIV vaccine. This shot uses an adenovirus that normally infects chimpanzees as its vector, or base, for the vaccine. It's similar to how the COVID-19 vaccine works. Inside the vector is the genetic material coding for HIV proteins that, scientists hope, will give the body what it needs to fight the AIDS virus. In another illustration of the cutting-edge vaccine developments that extend well beyond mRNA, the Jenner Institute is also behind a malaria vaccine consisting of virus-like particles that was recently found to be 77% effective in clinical trials. This is a significant step forward against a disease that kills around 400,000 people every year, and most of them in sub-Saharan Africa. 
Although there are efforts to also develop mRNA vaccines against malaria, there are limitations and how widely this technology can be used. Viruses may consist of only a handful of antigens. They're the molecules that cause an immune response. But a bacteria can contain thousands. mRNA vaccines are just not suitable replacements for complex vaccines employed against bacterial infections. Here is Professor Ian Jones again. So some vaccines require quite a complex mixture of materials. If we consider something like the conjugate vaccines for bacterial infections, for example, there may be 15 different components in there to protect against each of the different serotypes of the organism. Whereas other vaccines require only one component, principally a single protein from the surface of the organism. With an mRNA vaccine, it's harder to stimulate production of many antigens inside human cells. Well, one of the issues will be the amount of RNA that can be delivered into an individual, and in particular into their cells. Um, the more RNA that goes in, the more product is made. But if you imagine um, a fixed amount in the end will be able to be delivered, then if that's all of that RNA encodes only one product, then all of the molecules that enter will make it. But if it's a mixture of 10 components and the total amount that you can deliver remains the same, then the amount of each of them will be 10 times less. And so I think mixing may be possible up to a certain limit, but I don't think yet we would have evidence of what that limit would be. And it remains to be seen whether whether so-called complex vaccines could be made successfully with this technology. In the case of the multiple types of vaccine, the multiple antigen vaccines, I think RNA vaccines will probably not offer anything new. But for the single subunit vaccines, where the product itself is relatively simple, just one or maybe two components, then I think um, the RNA vaccines will have a, a great future. There is also a question of how widely available mRNA vaccines will become. Because mRNA vaccines have another issue. They can be costly. While this might not be such an issue for widespread medical maladies in developed nations with health services that can afford state-of-the-art drugs, it will dent the ability of developing nations to buy drugs. Now, Moderna, one of the companies behind one of the successful mRNA COVID-19 vaccines, is talking about tailor-made drugs to treat specific patients' cancer cells. Is this science fiction, or is this the way that we will soon be treated by our doctors? Here's Daniel to explain. Yes, much more tailored therapies for illnesses such as cancer are already in clinical trials and could lead to a big step forward in the effectiveness of treatments in the years to come. They sound like science fiction, but they are already entering the realm of reality thanks to, in particular, improvements in genetic sequencing. These enable clinicians to produce personalised cancer vaccines that stimulate the immune system in a way that is exactly tailored to the genetic makeup of the cancer cells. Although the term vaccine may be slightly misleading, as these are therapeutic rather than preventative vaccines. So just where does this leave mRNA vaccines? Well, here's Professor Ian Jones again. In my view, it has a very strong future. What you have to remember is it may not be a suitable technology for all types of vaccines. 
so I think in the future, it's, it's likely that it will replace the so-called subunit vaccines, but not the more complicated vaccines. Professor Jones also sees mRNA vaccine technology as a step change, not least because it's now been shown to be commercially viable with the COVID-19 vaccines. I think they'll play an increasing role, uh, but I'm not sure um, it's going to be an overnight change, not least because the issue of, um, of cost and, and licensing and so on, um, these are all patented technologies. They're not easily going to roll out to a mass uh, market without the costs in the research being recovered in some way, uh, much like you would argue for um, a revolutionary new drug, for example. So it, it, there, were, there will be practical difficulties in rolling them out generally and quickly. Uh, but I do think as time goes on, their, their relative position in the vaccine market will inevitably grow. But as with so much in the healthcare and pharmaceutical industries, the costs and risks in research are astronomical. And so companies protect their products with copyrights and patents. Should those pharmaceutical giants not enjoy the fruits of their labour? Undoubtedly. But that can have the knock-on impact of slowing the potentially life-saving rollout of some drugs. For COVID-19, now there is a call from developing nations for the US to force drug companies to share the recipe, so that labs around the world can start making generic equivalents for the COVID vaccine and speed up the global vaccine campaign. On May 5th, the United States said it now backs a call for a temporary intellectual property waiver for COVID-19 vaccines. The move could allow suppliers in other countries to produce generic shots and speed up vaccinations before more coronavirus variants emerge. But there are always challenges to ramping up global production. Even the latest breakthroughs in technology cannot overcome every economic and health challenge. And ultimately, change will take time. Still though, there are hopes that we will one day be able to tailor drugs more specifically to the kinds of viruses and diseases, and that fast, effective and safe vaccines can be produced if ever there is another pandemic like COVID-19. Thanks this week to Daniel Bardsley, Professor Ian Jones, Professor Pettersson and to Dr Andrew Friedman. We were produced this week by Aisha Khan and Arthur Edison with reporting from Daniel Bardsley. I've been James Haynes-Young. If you enjoyed this episode and want all the latest Beyond the Headlines, subscribe in your podcast app. And if you can leave us a review while you're there, it makes a big difference. 